0: So, Jeremy Shap, you are obviously our resident historian, and the most recent trip you took was to a different sort of museum. It was to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. What did you find there? Well,
1: there's all kinds of great stuff in there, Pablo. Um, Yeah, the College Football Hall of Fame, I had never been before. And... You know, all this great memorabilia, you know, helmets, displays. Contana tries a quarterback
2: Touchdown, Notre Dame.
1: It, it really is um, a feast for the senses if you're a college football fan.
2: It is up, and it is score.
1: Enthusiast such as I am. Touchdown, SC! And, and, but there was one item that I went down there that I made the trip specifically to Atlanta to see this one thing. Well, this is Gary Terrell's trombone. So so this is the, yeah, right. the trombone. That's correct. May I touch it? Sure, certainly. This is probably one of the greatest musical instruments ever. This is a musical instrument, this trombone, that holds a special place in the hearts of tens of millions of people. In In the annals of instruments that have played a role throughout our history, in society... From the Old Testament, the trumpets and the walls of Jericho, Louis Armstrong's trumpet, this trombone holds a place as significant as any of those. Because of what happened on November 20th, 1982, in the final seconds of what was the 85th big game, the annual showdown between Cal and Stanford.
2: All right, here we go with a kickoff.
1: And... What happened to the man who was holding the trombone, Gary Terrell, is almost insignificant. But the act itself, you know, represents this kind of chaos. Trouble at
2: midfield, they tried to do a couple
1: of, the ball is still loose. This mayhem that we see arguably more in college football than in any other sport that we love. All the band is out on the field! This idea that anything can happen on any given day, any given Saturday, anybody can win. And beyond that, this trombone represents hope.
0: You have probably seen what we believe to be the greatest play in the history of football, college or professional. In fact, you probably remember the iconic call. The band is on the field, ringing in your ears right now. But today, 40 years later... We tell the story of how it really happened through the people who lived it and why the whole thing really did take a lot of brass. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, November 10th. This is ESPN Daily.
3: Passion, drive, and patience. every time, or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: So Jeremy, the play that we are here to excavate with you, as famous as it is, it is like one of those masterpieces, one of those paintings that is so finely detailed that I notice something like little Easter eggs every single time I go back and watch this thing. And you did more than just rewatch this for this Sunday's E60 special. You actually interviewed 40-plus of the people who lived it in the foreground and the background, some of whom we're about to hear clips from as we go through this. So... Just to set the scene here, I know Cal and Stanford are historical rivals. I know they play what's known as big game every year, but what made this big game, the 1982 edition, even bigger than normal? That year it was a big deal
1: because um, both teams were poised to go to a bowl, which was not always the case for these programs. Beyond that, the Stanford quarterback happened to be the best quarterback in college football. And he would soon become the first pick in the NFL draft. He had not played in a bowl game in his college career. This was a source of some frustration for him and for Stanford fans. And this was John Elway's last shot. This was his shot to get to a bowl game. And he was still
2: in the Heisman conversation. Is there some pressure on you with this Heisman shadow
3: hanging over your head? Uh, Oh, I don't feel any. I think I could if I really started thinking about it, saying, well, my goal is to win the Heisman trophy. But uh, in my case, that's not true. I want to do the best, do whatever I can to get us a win.
1: And beyond that, these guys hate each other. This is one of the classic rivalries in college sports. This is the oldest college football rivalry
0: on the West Coast. Well, Jeremy, it's a lot of public versus private two, right? These are two academically august institutions that still harbor their own superiority and inferiority complexes, respectively.
1: Look, there's no doubt about that, right? In the Stanford guys we talked to, I'm sure there are are many who are not as um, bold about these kinds of statements. But when you ask them, you know, what distinguishes a Cal student from a Stanford student? You know, the answer is usually we're smarter and better looking.
0: Mm. Mm. And they mean it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with how that taunt can be sincerely intended. Yeah.
1: Right. I'm sure you are. And not only that, you know, if they're feeling in a particularly uncharitable mood, they say, oh, cow, that's for the people who didn't get into Stanford.
0: And at Stanford, I know there is this historic instrument, this trombone at the heart of all of this. We're going to keep hearing about and from that As we go on, but I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge another sacred artifact that is essential to this blood feud as well. So please explain this hallowed weapon. So the
1: axe is the, you know, uh, trophy, right? Whoever wins the big game each year gets to keep the Stanford axe. It seems strange. Usually, you know, the names of these things, you know, are are kind of... um, They cover both teams or neither, but this is the Stanford Axe, and the Stanford Axe goes to whoever wins the big game each year. And going and it goes all the way back to 1899, um, and and going into 1982's game, Stanford had won the Axe 36 times, Cal had won it 34 times, and for these programs, again, as I said, which rarely were finding themselves in the national title picture by the 1980s, the Axe. And the big game are about as big as it gets, typically.
0: And there is another big character that I think I'm actually understating by even calling it a character because it is so much more than that. It is so many characters in one. But we have the Stanford band. And so how do you introduce what the deal is, Jeremy, with the Stanford band?
1: Well, if, if there's a, a word that comes to mind, it's irreverent, right?
2: That's the Leland Stanford Junior University marching band. <laughs> and you know about them, don't you? Yeah, they do a little things different.
1: <laughs> its mission is to be the antithesis of a traditional marching band. You know, the idea of order uh, is antithetical to what it wants to be. And it called itself the world's largest rock and roll band. And they're kind of poking fun at the John Philip Sousa type marches and the seriousness of marching bands at halftime. They consider themselves much cooler than a typical marching band. Um, They're much more likely to get themselves into trouble with some of their stunts and their antics. Uh, The breakfast meal before every game is beer and donuts. The band shack
3: was like a a fraternity house on steroids. It smelled horrible, like beer and urine. We had a, a urinal on the wall, and you pull the flush, and the beer comes out of the tap. Everyone's a little groggy, but nothing that a couple of red solo cups of beer and a few donuts can't fix up.
1: Look, they're college kids, right? Yeah. Nobody I- said this was, you know, high... Uh, concept comedy, right? You know, they're they're just no, they're, the,
0: college the, 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 kids having fun. They're pretty drunk. That's what I get from they're this. They're pretty drunk. They're pretty drunk, and sometimes they're not even playing, like, actual instruments. There was a, a
3: vacuum cleaner with bungee cords on it. Drummers with beer kegs, and they would hit the beer kegs.
1: These, these are guys who... You know, uh, imagine, you know, as soon as they graduate, they're going to get serious jobs or they're going to go to uh, medical school. They're going to become financiers, whatever it is. They're going to create the Internet in Silicon Valley and all that comes with it. So They figure they might as well, you know, have a little bit of fun while they still had the chance.
0: And so to continue to set the backdrop for game day, okay, this is now the day of the big game, as they call it. It is being hosted by Cal at home in Berkeley at Memorial Stadium, and so how how vicious is this atmosphere?
1: Well, you know, um, it's still Stanford Cal, right? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> like 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 if, if if you've been to you know an SEC game or if you've been to like you know a Big Ten or an Oklahoma Texas from that era, it's it, I I wouldn't describe it as. Um, you know, a menacing atmosphere,
0: no, this is not Death Valley. it's not Brian Denny Stadium, but I have heard at the very least that there are um a couple bad apples at Cal, so to speak.
1: yes, fruit is uh one of the traditions the band gets fruit thrown at it at least back in that era by by Cal fans and i think it's I think it's typically frozen fruit. they were signing up for this you know if if crowds had responded with love with an outpouring of appreciation and gratitude to the Stanford band, they would have known they were doing it wrong.
0: And so the band is settling in now. And yeah, they're wearing like cone head. One guy's wearing a cone head, right? Which is not yeah, the sort of thing. cone heads were
1: very big <laughs> at the time. Not a
0: thing you'd see from the Ohio State band as they dot the I for the record here, right? So, so this scene is sort of assembling off to the side and the crowd is, yes, similarly uh, lubricated, you might say. Um, and then kickoff is upon them Jeremy And and what do they see? How does this game start off?
1: Well, look, John Elway is uh, the focus of the game plan, right? For the Stanford Cardinal and for the Cal Bears, he's John Elway. And Cal's, by the way, you know, had a better season in terms of record than Stanford. Stanford, we should say, was five and five going into this game. Cal was six and four. But Stanford, because of Elway, had been able to pull off some big upsets, beating some of the best teams in the country, including Ohio State and Washington. So Cal's feeling a little disrespected. Everybody's talking about Elway. Everybody's assuming they're going to go to the Bowl and they're going to win the big game. And so their uh, strategy is very simple. Get in John Elway's face. And they did. And um, uh, he he had uh, an unproductive first half. Only 73 yards passing.
0: Stanford's getting shut out. They have the best player in the world but they're losing 10 to zip at the half.
1: Everybody knows, though, that at any second, John Elway can spark back to life. And in two seconds, he can turn the whole game around. And in the second half, Elway, unsurprisingly, is Elway again. And the Bears are just backpedaling.
2: Elway drops back. Here it is to White. down Stanford.
1: Stanford gets itself back into the game with a couple of minutes to play. John Elway fumbles the ball away.
2: Second and eight, Elway hit from behind. Is it a fumble or is it a pass? They say fumble. Cal's ball. Big play.
1: Cal recovers. And now all they need, they just need a first down for two yards. They're two yards away from a first down, which will enable them to run out the clock.
2: By no means is it over yet. But it may be after this play if California can get a first down.
1: One of the players who was on the field that day that we spoke to was our own Rod Gilmore, the great Rod Gilmore, Gilmore, our colleague at ESPN, uh, who was defensive back for the Cardinal. And he remembers that moment as Cal has the ability, has it within its power at that point to put the game away. And he remembers looking to the Cal sideline and seeing their first year head coach,
3: Joe Capp. He's looking at me and he's nodding his head, and kind of smiling, and I thought he's going to run my way. I stood up and hit him with, <laughs> with all that I had, which wasn't wasn't all that much, and then held on for dear life.
2: Gilmore with the job, Rodney Gilmore.
3: We we're able to stop him and get the ball back to the offense
0: and so now all the pressure is back on John Elway, right? I mean, this is a minute twenty seven seconds left. In the fourth quarter, Stanford is trailing by two. And what happens?
1: He is in his element. If anyone at this point in the history of football had ever been born for a moment such as this, it was John Elway. This is to prolong his college career. They need to get downfield. They need to, you know, kick a field goal at least to win this game, close it out the big game, go to a bowl game. Maybe he gets the Heisman. First three plays of the drive. They lose yards. Mm. So now, with 53 seconds to play, Pablo, they are facing 4th and 17 from their own 13. 4th and 17, let me repeat myself, from their own 13, <laughs> and I think it's 52 seconds to play. So at that point, they got one last shot, they go to the huddle, and Elway turns to his top receiver, Emil Harry, and he says... You're getting the ball.
2: I'm leaving the huddle. He goes, I'm throwing the ball to you. Get open. I remember thinking, oh,
1: crap. (laughs) And he runs a deep root across the middle. uh, And Elway, you know, as Elway does, the guy who, you know, threw the ball as hard as anyone who's ever thrown a football. And he fires a laser at him. Elway back. And now, you know, it's just a first down, right? But uh, now momentum is building. Pitchback.
2: Breaking to his left is Datterer. Datterer may go way. He is dropped at the 17-yard line.
1: So you, you know where this is heading. John Elway is driving downfield. Clock's running down. Now they are well within field goal range. And Elway calls timeout. But he calls timeout to set up this last-second field goal, but it's not really a last-second field goal attempt. It's actually an eight-seconds-left-on-the-clock field goal attempt for 35 yards. Mark Harmon, 35-yard
2: kick will win it. Listen to the crowd. Here's the snap. Here's the kick. It is long enough. It is good!
0: Danford hits it with four seconds to go! And so the kick is good. There are precisely four seconds remaining, and Cal's players, right? Some of them are in tears. Um,
3: It was was devastation. I mean, I was just, I was crushed. I mean, because I really thought we had every opportunity to win that game outright.
2: I was just devastated. Devastated.
0: They have just lost this game, obviously. They've lost all the things they had been fighting for. The axe, the bowl game, uh, all of it. But meanwhile, there is a development over on the sidelines that is unbeknownst to everybody at this point. But it is setting the stage for what is about to play out here in the closing seconds. So explain what exactly is going on.
1: So, So what's happened is, you know the Stanford band comes down to the field at the end of the game, regardless win or lose, they perform, they play. And so when there are a couple minutes left in the game, they have to start making their way down to the field. Now this, you know, I, I was on the field out of Cal a couple of months ago. There's not a lot of room. You'll know, have some stadiums have a big track around them and there's a lot of room. There's no track at Cal stadium. It's pretty tight on the sidelines and behind the end zones. It's an old
0: stadium. It's hundred years old. And so the band is going out of the stands where they have been pelted by frozen fruit down to the fields. And there are, I want to get this right, there are 200 or so people in this band? Uh, Scores, scores, Pablo. I don't know the exact figures, but it's a big band.
1: It's not a a tiny band. There are a lot of them. Look, when you're handing out beer and donuts every Saturday, (laughs) it's easy to encourage enrollment. Yeah.
0: Coming up, the miracle of how the cow bears save their own ass by grabbing it.
3: Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios. One of the highest protein nuts out there. Not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, You end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. And you know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. I know I have. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
0: So Jeremy, we're at the point now where there are just four seconds left on the game clock. And you were explaining just a second ago what was developing on the sidelines as Cal is getting ready to feel this kickoff that is going to give way to Stanford's band serenading their victorious team. But there is also something else, something else that you uncovered in your reporting, something from months earlier in this saga that informs everything that was about to take place. So what did you learn about how Cal's head coach, Joe Cap had prepared his team for this moment? Yeah, I think it's really interesting.
1: And many say this is significant, that they'd have a light workout the day after games on Sundays. And Joe Cap would let them practice by throwing the ball around as if it were a rugby practice. Mm. Cal significantly was the best college rugby team in the country. They were in the midst of a run in which they won four consecutive national titles. And about half a dozen guys in the rugby team were also on the football team. So these guys knew how to pitch a ball around. Yeah. Better than most. Ron Rivera, you know, going to win a Super Bowl, playing for the Chicago Bears. Now, of course, the head coach of the Washington Commanders. He was on that Cal team, and he told us how uh, these practices, these rugby practices worked.
3: We used to play this game on Sundays that Coach Cat brought in. It was really to get the guys loosened up. It's like a rugby game, us against, you know, one, one group against the other group. And you got to keep the ball alive. You got to keep lateraling it.
0: And Joe Cap, the coach, was just fine with all of this chaos. This was part of the structure that he had endorsed.
1: At first, you know, he was wondering, what the hell's going on? Why are they throwing the ball around like that? What is that? Why are you guys uh, grab-assing? Quit grab-assing around. He'd say stuff like that. You know, he he was kind of old school Joe Cap. And so uh, the players started calling the game grab-ass. But again, when you consider what was about to happen, It does seem significant. You can't ignore the fact that this was something they were practicing.
3: And it was just something that carried over once
2: we got to the game.
0: And so as the Cal Bears are preparing to receive, again, this final kickoff that everybody assumes is a foregone conclusion because there are four seconds left in the game. There are four seconds on the clock. And the game should have been over a million times, but it's still going on technically only. How did everyone on the Cal sideline feel?
1: Well, there were different feelings. There were many who had quite logically given up hope, who were despairing. <laughs> you know? But, you know, Richard Rogers, who was one of the leaders of that Cal team, he was, everyone says, utterly committed to the idea that we still had a chance.
0: We gathered, you know, uh, right before the, the kickoff. And that's when I told the guy, I was like, if you get the ball, pitch it. Let's just keep it alive.
1: Whatever you do, keep it alive in the spirit of rugby. There is an important, one more important factor. (laughs) Sorry, I keep coming back to important factors. But Stanford has only Stanford to blame. After the successful field goal that put them up, okay, 20 to 19, they celebrated with excessive exuberance, Mm. at least in the eyes of the referees they were penalized 15 yards so instead of kicking off from their 40 which is where they would have kicked it off back in those days right. they kicked it off from their own 25 big difference considering what was about to happen
2: what a recovery by stanford you have to give them all sorts of credit all right here we go with a kickoff
1: So, Kevin Mowen, he fields the squib kick.
2: When I get the ball, I took like three steps and saw a bunch of Stanford guys running at me. Ball comes loose and the Bears have to get out of bounds. And magically, I turn and there's Richard Rogers. And
1: he heaves the ball to the aforementioned Richard Rogers.
0: All of a sudden, the ball is in the air and it's coming toward me. It's like time was standing still. It took forever to get there.
2: Rogers along the sideline, another one. Still in deep
0: trouble. And there's guys running at me, so I turn around and pitch it to Dwight. Dwight Garner.
1: Now, this is the most controversial moment mm-hmm. of the greatest play in the annals of football, Pablo. Because
0: by the way, everybody is tackling everybody, right? It's just like a mass of bodies.
1: Everybody's <laughs> tackling everybody.
0: Garner is
1: tied up, and suddenly the ball pops out
2: yeah they literally had me all tied up they had my arms and i just kind of flicked it out
1: it's just kind of a shovel from this pile with a knee that is either down or not down in this
2: pile and
1: richard rogers gets the ball again
0: i run right at the white jersey that i think is supposed to be on the field then i lateral the ball to marat now marat ford has
1: received the fourth lateral. And he's picking up ahead of steam, running in the direction of the end zone. He's at about the 27 or the 28. They give it
2: back now to the 30. They're down to the 20.
1: And now his window of opportunity is closing. He is about to be tackled. Running behind him in stride, Kevin Moen. <laughs> Kevin Moen, six foot one, 210 210-pound, defensive back, big guy. And Morette Ford... He just heaves the ball over his shoulder. Doesn't seem he could have possibly known for sure that Moen was there. He, he could only have sensed the presence of Kevin Moen, and Moen catches it in stride.
2: I'm in a perfect position for Moretz over the shoulder, and here came the ball floating down.
1: It ends up being five laterals. Five laterals. And now, the only thing that stands between him... And the greatest comeback in the history of college football are about 200 members or (laughs) scores of members of the Stanford band because the band has come out on the field. Yes.
0: The band has decided that, oh, the game must be over. Because basically this is muscle memory at this point, right? They're doing what they always do, what many of them have done dozens of times before which is to get into position for this post-game performance as soon as possible we're running like crazy trying to
2: get to midfield we just took off and i remember i wanted to be at the front of the pack next thing i know here comes somebody running right in front of me with the football the next thing that i see is kevin Moen running the other way this can't be good
3: oh no the play is not over and so i turned around to get off the field myself And I almost got trampled by our own band.
1: And they weren't the only ones, let's be very clear.
0: No, for all of their hazy understanding of the world around them on account of the beer and the donuts and everything else in their system. Right. They were not alone in the confusion, in fairness. No, no, the band, the band
1: was out on the field, but it wasn't only the band. Stanford had more than 11 men on the field. They might've had 15 men on the field because they (laughs) thought the game was over too.
0: Oh, God. Wait, so hold on, because this is one of those things that I don't notice in the, in the where's Waldo of this. Like, okay, so by many different measures, things that should not be happening on a football field are happening. And through all of it, Jeremy, cutting through all of it is the visage of Kevin Moen, who is surging right. undeterred towards the end zone.
1: Yeah, he's he's picked he's got the ball, you know, like at the twenty-five, and he must be wondering to himself, what the hell is going on?
2: All oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going into the end zone. Will it count?
1: Kevin gets to the end zone and there's this famous photograph of him and he's got the ball over his head two hands you know like it's two hands like it's the battle of Agincourt <laughs> like he's got you know, a double-sided <laughs> axe in his hands but out of the frame is Gary Terrell who just gets wiped out all five foot just six destroyed. 140 pounds of him destroyed by Kevin Moen
0: yeah, this is the part of the play that I laugh at every single time I watch it still because Kevin Moen crosses the goal line, he has the ball, he's celebrating by jumping into the air in the end zone, and he winds up slamming this football down with both hands, like, yes, a demented lumberjack, right onto Gary Terrell, the crombone player for the Stanford band. And Gary has no
1: idea what's going on.
0: (laughs) I mean, Gary and some other band members can at least freely admit this now, yeah, 40 years later. I could see
2: when the clock went down to zero. Turned around and I saw many of my bandmates, the folks with the Stanford Axe, rushing the field. Corner of my eye, I see this cow player running
1: through the end zone. Oh, he's got the ball. Next thing I'm down. He gets laid out.
2: It was very, very confusing. I kind of looked around, I saw Gary all sprawled out.
3: Slam dunk, Gary Tyrell
2: what just happened and it was a super bad time to be me
1: fortunately the only thing that was bruised and you knew this was coming was his ego Mm. oh i am the trombone and also the the
0: trombone yeah
1: the trombone's wrecked i mean it really is utter chaos
2: we don't know who won the game the bears may have made some illegal laterals it could be that it won't count the bears believe
1: it or not it would take days years even to really unpack exactly you know what happened in these final seconds somebody must have been tackled one of those passes must have been illegal right and so the referees are now in this position
0: oh yeah right oh, uh, We should point out there are referees here we should remind people there are, that as two hundred band here. members are flooding the field and people are wondering is any of this okay there are referees who have to decide what's okay and what's not
1: without the benefit of not only hindsight but instant replay in the
0: moment and You know, they're watching this unfold. And so when you go to the refs in the present day and you relive this with them, what do they describe the inside of their huddle sounding like? So the referee
3: asked his colleagues. Anybody have any penalties against Cal? No, nobody has any penalties.
2: Let's give them six and then get get out of there right
0: now. Which seems like the right expedient move, given that uh, Bedlam is unfolding all around them. Sure. Although, you
1: know, it it would have been harder to call it not a touchdown at Cal Stadium.
2: Everybody's milling around on the field. the The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Oh, my God. The most amazing, sensational, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football.
1: But they still had to deal with the wrath of the Stanford uh, team, which was um, not really buying it that those were all legal laterals. And I'm going to tell you, and many people would bet away their one of their kidneys on this, that Dwight Garner's knee was down. I don't think it's that clear. If I had to make the call in that moment... Is it likely in that position when somebody's totally surrounded that their knee was down? Yes. But I would argue <laughs> that there is actually no incontrovertible, definitive visual evidence that Dwight Garner's knee ever touched
0: the ground. But it seemed pretty clear to some of the Stanford players, Jeremy, that you did talk to about it. Oh, yeah. They, they have no
1: doubts. Zero. They are,
3: they are doubtless.
0: I heard the official blow the whistle.
3: What the heck? He blew the play dead. Garner's down. They had a fort lateral. I mean, who do we have officiating, the Keystone Cops? Had there been replay, then it would have ended
0: up differently. Stanford would have won the game. And so what about the axe, Jeremy? Where is the axe in all of this? So Stanford is in possession of the axe
1: because Stanford had won the big game the year before. So they've got the axe. But now the, you know, there are a lot of decisions being made in this moment. You know, the guy who signals a touchdown by firing off a cannon on the hill behind the stadium, he's deciding, should I fire the cannon? He fires the cannon twice. (laughs) just to make sure. Cannon Guy. I'm glad
0: we're giving Cannon Guy his fair due in the review of this history.
1: He was instrumental. You know, you hear the cannon, it's touchdown, it's that simple, right? So the Axe Committee, they're figuring out, do we hand over the Axe? Do we really lose? Is it possible?
2: Do we really want to give up the Axe because we didn't think we lost? Is there a way we can leave the stadium unnoticed? And I look up, they just reached in, took the
3: Axe, and... Bye-bye, (laughs)
1: Axe. Stanford students, being the reasonable, high achievers that they are, accepted the outcome and handed over the axe, albeit reluctantly.
0: And being the high achievers that we are, I suppose, it does feel like we have dissected all of this about as much as you possibly can in audio form. So at the end here, I do feel like we should do what the Stanford band refused to and just get out of the way here for a second because the clip that I referenced in the intro to the show, the clip that we've been teasing you with this whole time is the sound of Joe Starkey, the Cal radio announcer who is doing play-by-play and who is so exuberant, so bewildered that, yeah, I just want to let it seep in again into our memories.
2: Here we go with the kickoff. Armin will probably try to squib it and he does ball comes loose and the bears have to get out of bounds rogers along the sideline another one they're still in deep trouble at midfield they tried to do a couple of the ball is still loose as they get it to rogers they get Everybody's milling around on the field. And the Bears, the Bears have won. The Bears have won. Oh, my God. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heartrending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. California has won the big game over Stanford. Oh, excuse me for my voice, but I have never, never seen anything like it in the history of I have
1: ever seen any game in my life the Bears have won I try not to get too philosophical about these things <laughs> I, you know me I don't want to you know blow this out of proportion I don't want to you know uh, stoop to talking about the transcendental power of sports and all that mm. but it applies here I think it does apply here I really think when you break it down and you examine its disparate parts, as corny as it sounds, it is about hope. It is about achieving victory against all odds. And it didn't happen by accident. It happened because there was preparation. You know, Kevin Moen told me, you know, he still gets letters from people who are facing desperate situations you guys give me hope what you achieved in those final seconds november 20th 1982 that's obviously a metaphor for more than the end of a game
0: it does feel though like stanford may not agree with your poetry there jeremy
1: (laughs) no if you went to stanford it's very simple pablo garner's knee was down end of story
0: Jeremy Schaap, the clock on this podcast actually has hit zero, so thank you. Thank you for joining (laughs) us.
1: In my heart, there are always four seconds left between (laughs) us, Pablo.
0: You can check out the new E60 special The Band is on the Field this Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN or streaming afterwards on ESPN+. Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.